G'day everyone. Uh, hang on. How do we start this show? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, that's right. G'day, I'm Rob. And I'm Stephen. And you're listening to the Doctor Who Show, where we're doing Series 12, and tonight the final episode of Series 12, The Timeless Children. And yes, that is Stephen from New to Who joining me again to talk about this episode this week. How are you, Stephen? I'm very well, Rob. Thank you, and a pleasure again to join you. It's pleasure is all mine. And like I said last week, I think it's good to have some continuity for our guest presenters uh, when it comes to a two-parter like this. So hmm. let's get into it. Let's. Um, opening off the top notes from me and listeners, this is spoilerific. So if you haven't seen it, please go and see it. I think this was quite a bizarre episode. I don't know if I'm missing something, but... I feel like it was meant to be epic, and I think I can see all the bits that are screaming, look at me, I'm epic, but I found it really unsatisfying and a bit ugh, and it's not that I hated the episode or even some of the stuff it was trying to do. Mm. This episode, Stephen, just didn't do anything for me. It left me cold. It washed over me. I thought, meh, it just didn't land for me. Oh, gosh, Rob. Um, look, we're not too dissimilar, I think. I Ooh. I don't feel as though the story in itself um, cohesis into a, a satisfying narrative, a story that should be told that is uh, exciting and engaging and sort of grips you for the full 60 minutes. Uh, there are certainly points where I think it, that did happen, but largely I'm probably in your camp where this is middle of the road. Mm. Yeah, and I know, look, I've, I've been on social media since I saw the episode and I understand that some people think this is amazing and profound and other people think this has destroyed Doctor Who for all time. <laughs> and, you know, we'll probably tease out some of those strands. But yeah, for me, I'm, I'm really in the middle on this. Mm. And I guess the thing listeners will probably want to hear us talk about and we've got to get to it sometime. So let's just get to it now. The elephant in the room. Let's start by talking about the Doctor's lives. This is something that had been hinted at for, for months, that there would be regenerations before Hartnell. Mm. Yes, that came true. We got a whole backstory to the Doctor, a whole backstory to Gallifrey we'd never heard before. And on one hand, I kept asking myself, why are they doing this? What is it achieving? You know, even if it seems interesting, what? why are they doing this? What is it achieving? And while mm. I can see how it opens the door to the Doctor being hundreds, if not thousands of other people over time, and it really opens up the law, it, it, I can't get past the feeling that it seems a bit of an ego thing on Chibnall's part, you know, to write this big idea into the very core of the series. You know, <laughs> it hasn't needed it for the past 57 years, but all of a sudden... We just change the nature of the Doctor, the nature of Gallifrey, everything. And again, it delights some people. It really annoys some people. Um, RTD and Moffat, even at their most egocentric, didn't do this. Your thoughts? <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm not sure. Um, I think the show does do this. I think we get it with you know, the deadly assassin and what Bob Holmes gets up to there. We get it mm -hmm. with the Valyard. I think, you know, RTD with the Time War and, and Moffat with the... Um, Oh, well, any number of things really um, does like to, to rewrite law to some degree. And I'm, I'm not sure if that in itself is something that I'm opposed to. Uh, I've mentioned previously, actually, Rob, offline when we've been talking 
Mm. I'm not really opposed to the idea of a pre Hartnell doctrine in many ways, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, we see it in the brain of Morbius or hinted at in something like Lung Barrow from the uh, wilderness years. There's this sort of possible plausibility for me, and I'm okay with that, and maybe that's an effective time. Mm. I guess what really doesn't quite land for me or work in many ways is why is the doctor the timeless child the idea of a timeless child is interesting in some regards you have that sort of classic moral dilemma in uh, Dostoevsky's brothers Karamazov where it's posited that like, if you were to establish this perfect human utopia and I guess in some regards you know the time lord society is that where there's peace and happiness for everyone everywhere every, uh, and forever but it comes at the cost of the perpetual torment of one child then would you agree to those conditions and, and, and then also what would your paradise mm. be worth that's that's a really fascinating, dramatically worthy and feasible sort of a, a plot line. Uh, so that's fine. But to make the Doctor the Timeless Child doesn't work for me, and it doesn't work for two reasons. One you've already mentioned, but I'll deal with the other one first. I mm-hmm. think that the reveal of the Doctor being something special in the sense of you know uh, you know this, this this mythical figure i guess sort of makes the doctor um, brings it to on a par with uh, protagonists in like star wars for instance or mm. maybe even the half divine heroes of of antiquity and it makes the doctor less odysseus which is the character that i very much see the doctor as and more like heracles mm-hmm. that half divine hero all conquering hero and yeah. in trying to make the Doctor more special, they've actually made Doctor Who less special as a result, I think. Um, having the Timeless Child be something else or someone else would have been far more interesting, I think. The other thing is, you mentioned it before, why are they doing this? So what? Like, where do you go mm. with this re- revelation? And in fact, the thing that bugged me the most was that 45 minutes or so of this episode was, um, you know, Sasha Darwin's master mansplaining to Jodie's Doctor what had happened to her. Um, so, yeah. so in that regard, it was dramatically uninteresting in terms of the way that the story was developed, even though there were flashes every now and then, you know, we got to see how the Brendan thing sort of overlays with the doctor's life and that was pretty cool. And, you know, mm. this, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, we had that wonderful flashback through the previous incarnations and even into the Morbius doctors uh, as well. And you just sort of think, oh gosh, this, this is, this, this is lovely. But they were, you know, rare peaks, I guess, in a story that was largely flat, uninteresting, and yeah. for an hour, just didn't hold together in terms of that uh, exciting three-act narrative structure that just brings plot point after plot point. Instead, we just got exposition after Basil exposition. Yeah, and I want to talk about the master in a moment. But what I want to do now is just zip back to something you said a moment ago, mm-hmm. how this makes the Doctor less special, less like Odysseus and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think during the Tenet era, we were getting sort of peak lonely god vibes from the doctor you sure. know the doctor was the lonely god and all this and i think fandom almost collectively agreed it was much better to make the doctor more mysterious more interesting and get away from that lonely god stuff but to me yes this absolutely sort of makes the doctor the absolute heart of time lord society mm. the whole reason they can regenerate and do the things they do and possibly the most important time lord who ever lived there was no mention of rassilon or omega in this episode <laughs> at all and I'm thinking, how does this all work? And, and again, why are we doing it? Oh, God. But so, but, but to get back to my point, the, the whole Lonely God thing, I, I guess you didn't like that at the time as well? I guess because there wasn't such a grand reveal around it, I almost talk, took it metaphorically. The Lonely God is, you know, okay. the, time, the last of the Time Lords, lonely in his TARDIS, never really being able to sort of, you know, find a life ever again. 
But maybe what sort of annoys me is that the Doctor's destined for this. You know, there was always going to, you know, leave Gallifrey and become, you know, the great hero. And that runs counter to, I guess, you know, the the really sort of satisfying telling of these the hero's journey, which is it's a nobody, it's a nothing. It's someone who has come from nowhere and made themselves mm. good just through the journey itself. Yeah, and, and not the whole reason that society exists in the first place. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of the master, I said I'd talk about the master. Um, <laughs> his destruction of Gallifrey because of the timeless child thing. I don't understand this even now. Is it because that made the Doctor special, and he was annoyed that the Doctor was special? But even then, I can't even I can't reconcile that sort of rage with destroying a whole planet. You know, wouldn't you try and blackmail the Time Lords with the information <laughs> or embarrass them on a galactic scale? Blowing them up just seems so basic, <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is, there was no real breakdown of what made it so rage-worthy for him. Like, you know, it, okay, it's revealed to him that the Doctor uh, is the timeless child and could regenerate, and that's what Time Lord Society is based on. Okay, why are you blowing the planet up? I, I don't get it. I think the inference there is that, you know, the Doctor's inherent to the Time Lords and in, in every Time Lord, including the Master, and there's a sort of self-hatred around that. Um, maybe that we sort mm. of have seen previously with, um, is it the human Daleks or something like that? There's a previous story might be where oh, yeah. the Daleks detest themselves because of what they are. And I thought, oh, okay, but again, sort of mining the past and something that we've had previously, which Doctor Who does, and that's fine. But you're right, it was never really teased out. It was never, I don't feel, uh, again, sort of dramatically worthy and, and explored in that way. It was just uh, exposition again. Yeah, I, I think, you know, someone should introduce Chris General to the idea that less is sometimes more. Um, <laughs> some of this stuff seems to be a very J.J. Abrams way of making the show. Like, let's, if we've got a planet, let's blow the planet up. If we've got a person, let's make them the most important person. There's sort of no subtlety to what's going on here. And I thought, oh, it's kind of a bit J.J. Abrams. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know enough about uh, Star Wars or Star Trek or J.J. Abrams, to be to be honest, as I mentioned in, my, in, in the last episode. But I do know what you mean. It's almost like the the most obvious uh, resolution or the most obvious path is the one that's trod. Precisely right. And, you know, just as an aside, I want to say I don't like the destruction of Gallifrey anyway. I, I know... You know, listening to a lot of podcasts, people say, oh, Gallifrey bores me, you know, I'm, I'm glad it's gone and, and all of this. But I think back to the 50th and, you know, Matt Smith, Giddy, you know, am I going to find Gallifrey, you know? And mm. it just seems so positive. And I like the idea that Gallifrey was out there and the Doctor was going home the long way around and, mm. you know, all of that, you know. And, and it got a bit messed up when Capaldi went there. That that was a bit weird because that was yes. Moffat sort yeah. of doing weird stuff when he'd already done such wonderful stuff in the 50th anyway. Putting that aside, <laughs> I I just feel it was again such just a juvenile thing to blow up this this planet again. I don't see the intelligence behind it in terms of storytelling long term. I liked Gallifrey being out there, and I know that might be an unpopular thing in podcasting these days. No, I look, um, I'm I'm pretty ambivalent because I think largely what you need to do is is stay away from Gallifrey. Uh, in telling stories, right? You, you shouldn't rely mm. on law and have that in the substitute for for basically a, a story or, or or a plot or a narrative. So that's why it doesn't work for me. The destruction of Gallifrey yet again at the end, as you sort of alludes to, is is also something that I find monumentally awful as a resolution. Because you know how is it going to be resolved? Or well, the Doctor goes, you know, back into the Capitol to to blow up the Cyber Lords and the and the Master. 
but it's mm. Koshamas who just sort of out of the nowhere and is, you know, really, really a minor <laughs> character sort of comes in and blows everything up. And then again, sort of neuters Jodie's female doctor and isolates her from being that proactive positive force for change. There's this wonderful mm. cartoon. I actually retweeted it. It's, it's from a chap called Ass. At Splenal, S P L W E N A L, and he has this short cartoon of how it should have um, been resolved instead. Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know whether I should spoil it here. I, might, I may as well. I think so. Instead of having, you know, Koshamas do that, what should have been the resolution is. Uh, this this idea that the Doctor is in all of the Time Lords, right? So it's not just mm. her ability to regenerate that's the most important thing, but her ability to be kind, so to find a better way to be that pe- better person, to not again be the destroyer of Gallifrey, right? And so she appeals to what's inherent within these Cyber Lords, which is herself, and that and that should have been the way that it was it was done, I guess. And I don't know to sort of have this sort of explosion just for the sake of it, and again, Gallifrey's blown up, big deal. Um, <laughs> it, it it just was really unsatisfying, and I, I actually really got annoyed that you know this minor character out of nowhere did something that really just seems a bit silly and stupid, as you say. Mm. Well, speaking of those Time Lord Cybermen, or, or what did you call them? Cyberlords. <laughs> Cyberlords. That's a great way of putting it. I might be going out on a limb here, particularly after what I've just said in this podcast thus far, uh, but I actually liked the look of them and the idea. <laughs> I, I thought they were totally weird and bonkers, yes, but as a scheme, it was crazy. It was masterish. But, 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 I would have been much more comfortable if the master had, you know, gone and enslaved a group of Time Lords and done it to them. You know, you don't need to destroy the whole race to tell this story. You know, he could have yeah. found some in a remote research lab somewhere and, and done that and then brought them in. And that still would have been a shocking moment. Oh, my mm. God. Time Lord Cyberman. Oh, mm. wow. You know, did you need to destroy the whole planet, basically, to do that? Yeah, that's a good call. But again, I'm just going to go back to my point about the best stories around Gallifrey don't actually involve the Time Lords, I don't think. I think back to Mm. Ark of Infinity and how utterly dull that is. Um, You know, the best stories really sort of take that background and context, but do something with it that isn't, um, I guess, so steeped in its own lore that tells a story that is... I mean, I think back to things like... Well, let's go back even to... um, the Haunting of Via Diodati, right? Which mm. was just a beautiful um, story in and of itself. Yes, it had sort of like a fore- foreshadowing of what was to come, but there, it wasn't overladen with just, you know, exposition and, you know, this is what the Time Lords are and what they're not and who you are, Doctor, and it's all been a lie and all this kind of stuff, which just, I don't mm. know, it's not interesting. I look, completely agree with you there. Uh, and uh, we are mentioning Koshamas a moment ago. I, before I forget, I want to say those island scenes that I was so excited about in mm-hmm. the past epi- previous episode, they turned out to be so inconsequential this time around. <laughs> you oh. know, it, was, it was sold as this major storyline in the previous episode, and here it just felt like really cheap and nasty that, oh, yeah, it's just part of the Doctor's past somehow, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but again, show that, right? Have the Doctor sort of have these memories flooding through and, you know, her wincing in pain and cut back to to, to Gallifrey Island and all the rest of it, rather than just sort of reveal it and drop it and say, oh, oh, okay, that was the explanation for why we got that last week. I mean, we were yeah. both fans of that subplot, but the way that Loved it was handled, it. as you say, it, it's almost inconsequential. Yeah. But it yeah. shouldn't have been. No, not at all. Not with the way it was set up, mm. you know. I don't know whether it was meant to be such a rug pull, like, ha you know, look what we did there. You thought it was all about that. I, I, yeah, I thought it was going somewhere. 
Um, <laughs> Shall we, we talk about the fam? Yeah, let's do that. I, I've got to say, out of Yaz, Graham and Ryan, it seemed to be Yaz that they were really trying to big up in places in this sure. episode. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with Graham giving her that little, if we don't make it out, I want you to know you're fantastic. And you mm. know, and, and when it's like, who's going to march through this boundary? Yaz just marches yes. straight through the boundary. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I see what they're trying to do, but where is this coming from? Have they finally listened to podcasts and heard people saying Yaz doesn't have much to do or something? I, or is she the main companion in the next series and they, they want to just, you know, put a bit of groundwork in i, oh, I honestly gosh. don't know that's interesting i hadn't thought of that i think you're right i think yaz is the one who's sort of foregrounded here and maybe it is a reaction to what we've sort of seen in the past and maybe you know the, the feedback from fandom I, I don't really mind i guess i mean it was a lovely scene there was that sort of, sort of like uh doctor and victoria tomb of the cyberman like conversation that we got which was quite lovely but maybe mm. appeared so incongruous because well two reasons one we don't actually didn't have uh, you know, today, all that much sort of picture of Yaz and, you know, how has she demonstrated everything that Graham has said about her uh, other than incidentally? She definitely did, I guess, through that, um, the way that she just sort of marches through the uh, the boundary there. And that was a great moment, mm. definitely. But it's almost as though, I don't want to say too little too late, but it, it does seem incongruous with what we've seen so far. I think it is along those lines, Stephen. Honestly, I do. I, I agree. I think it is too little too late. Mm. Graham, meanwhile, I thought had great lines, his his speech to Yaz, which I thought was just wonderful. Yeah. He came up with that plan of hiding in the cyber suits. I'm not sure how realistic that was. You know, <laughs> well, a cyber suit's that easy to crack open and How and realistic hide is uh, Ian getting into the Dalek um, shell in, 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 the, in the Daleks? You know, you just got to go with these sorts of things. It's, it's a bit of crap fun. I'm, I was okay with it. Mm. So, yeah, I was happy with Graham. But Ryan, meanwhile, I felt was very hardly in it especially if this is his sort of swan song with doctor who um Mm. going over to the u.s to make that show i mean maybe he's got this special left in him but other than that possibly see much of him no and 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 it was uh if you can think of the the a plot being you know the doctor and the master or at least you know the master mansplaining to the doctor uh the b plot i guess was graham and yaz aboard the the cyber ship this is really the c Mm. plot and and much like in Earthshock, where the c plot is essentially nissa and uh and Professor Kyle in the, in the TARDIS doing very, very little. I think yeah. there was two or three minutes worth of, of action for Ryan to do, and that was kind of it. I am kind of worried, though, about the representation and the depiction uh, of his, his dyspraxia and the believability around that. Like, we had a moment, I think, in, in Spyfall where um, he misses a, a basketball shot, and then, you know, mm. it sort of pays off here, and it's like, oh, okay, all right, that's cool. But it kind of seemed like, you know, that the Cybermen were like a hundred yards away and he sort of pitched this across a ravine. <laughs> and it and for that reason alone, maybe just because the way it was realized it didn't quite land for me. But other than that, you know, we see him running around shooting guns and you know, he's mentioned in the past, look, I don't know if I've if I'm very good at shooting. And I think he sort of meant the basketball shot as well as as well as perhaps a, a gunshot as there as well. But it's just sort of an uneven handling of the way he seems to be an action hero, but someone who also has dyspraxia. And I'm not, I'm not sure if I can buy into that. Like, I don't, I don't see the character as a character. I see the character as a collection of traits that uh, are used in certain propitious circumstances in the plot and other times entirely forgotten. Oh, yeah. Look, I remember back to the first episode with him in. It was he was falling off his bicycle and oh, it's I like, oh, I've that. got dyspraxia. And, you know, and it was, it was a big thing. Yeah. And I think was it the second episode... Yes, and he started the ghost running around with a with yeah. a laser rifle, blowing away these aliens. Exactly. Like, 
yeah. what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, very strange. And I guess to uh, to expand a bit out on the fam, we have these people they were helping, these um, Earth people, who have now come back to present-day Sheffield. And I, I thought, oh, does this mean that Julie Graham, as, as Razio and the other two, could mm. become sort of semi-regulars now on the show? They've got their own TARDIS house oh, in Sheffield. Conveniently parked. Um, <laughs> you know... Uh, the the Graham romance didn't pay off at all. Is that still in the future? You know, but what a boring bunch if these are going to be semi-regular people in the show. Yeah, they were, they were pretty faceless. Um, Ravio's sort of apart. I can kind of see her and Graham actually getting together. That could be an interesting thing in a soap opera kind of way. Um, but mm-hmm. again, the total lack of reference to that after it was set up in that sort of very brief scene uh, around, you know, having a butcher's last week. Yeah. I think we just sort of forgot about that, maybe? Yeah. Very strange. Now, after after the fam and the extended fam, I guess the only other main character is the, the lone Cyberman who, who got bumped off. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I don't know whether this is a rare cool moment in the, in the episode or whether it's just another example of, uh, of something being thrown away. But, you know, the, the master sort of tissue compression eliminator was maybe what Dave would call like a Doctor Who Monster Book fan's point of view of like a really cool moment. So maybe that kind of mm-hmm. appealed to me at, at some level. But what did not was the sort of juvenile plot point of this death particle. And that's actually what it was called. Like, yes. And then later on, how the Doctor was going to use it as a weapon that would have wiped out all life from the universe, which is odd that the Doctor would do that. Unless the inference is, in having him shrunk, maybe like the range of the death particle also shrinks. I don't know. It just, it was just totally bizarre. Like from, even from the revelation of the death particle onwards, it was, and it wasn't established previously. Like if this was like the Siberium's grand plan and it was going to come together and, you know, we needed to stop the, this insane lone Cyberman, I can kind of feel like that would have been a good story to tell, but it was just like, oh, here we go. I've got a universe ending thing here. Oh, no. And I'm shrunk to a size of a doll. Yeah, and the humans were like, oh, yeah, there's this rumour of this death particle. He's got oh, a death particle. Oh, that was convenient, wasn't it? Know. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. Oh, good Lord. Very yep. strange. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Dave there. I've actually got a, a missive from Dave uh, oh, over in the US. He has seen the episode. So why oh, I, I wonder what he made of it. The sports yeah, well, yeah, let's I've do got it. it right in front of me. <laughs> he says, well, gosh. <laughs> That's the end of the first line. <laughs> As always this season, it looked great. The first Mm. third with the Cybermen was fun, and Sasha once again remarkable as the master, and provided all the best moments. Otherwise, really a case of the timeless exposition. (laughs) (laughs) Snap. Either, yeah, either the master standing around explaining things, or the doctor talking to herself. And most of it wasn't that interesting, it didn't really change the plot, didn't really change our characters, and frankly was hard to understand why the Master was so worked up. Yeah, snap there for sure. And the regen cyber design really made me laugh out loud. I'll save some more detailed thoughts for the monthly, but after a good run of fun adventures in time and space, Chibnall tried to do too much and missed the whole point. And that's from Dave. Interesting. Yeah, we're pretty aligned, aren't we? I think so. Shall we go to the sports desk? Let's do it. (laughs) 
Now, for people who haven't been listening all series, where have you been? Uh, this is the Sports Desk where we do our Play of the Week, Foul of the Week, and MVP of the Week. So let's kick off with Play of the Week, Stephen. What was your Play of the Week? Oh, just from a Doctor Who Monsters book fan uh, point of view, just that flashback through all of the past incarnations. I mm. know it was a cheap thrill, but I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Very good. I am going to say the Time Lord Cybermen. I think they looked utterly bizarre, but conceptually <laughs> I bought into it. I just thought it was so weird and so cool. I liked that part of this episode. Nice, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Foul, I'll take lead here. I'm going to say it was the whole Timeless Child storyline. It wasn't incredibly interesting in itself. It, it messed with the law in a way that I felt was ego-driven more than anything. And it just made this really pissy sort of meta point about the Doctor being limited by what she was before. And so let's show that she was lots of things before and she shouldn't be limited. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. Again, someone should introduce Chris to the idea that less is sometimes more. I was quite happy just having the Doctors we had. I didn't need this infinite number of Doctors. I can see why it excites people, though, but it was my foul of the week. Uh, yeah, look, I think sort of bound up in that uh, is my pick, which is was Chris Chibnall himself um, and, and the way in which he seems to be un- incapable of showing a story rather than um, you know, um, mm. telling it. And ultimately, this story actually doesn't even do very much except tell. And, and, and the story itself um, that is told um, rather than shown, I'm not sure if it was actually very good anyway, because... Yeah, yeah. I, I've mentioned before to you, I don't care about what you do with canon because I genuinely and personally don't believe that he could ever hold water with, with uh, Doctor Who, not because it's a show, but because it's a mythos. And mythos, mm. myths have multiple tellings and multiple origins. Really happy with the idea of pre or Doctors and the rest of it. The idea of the Timeless Child is an interesting one. Making the Doctor the Timeless Child is where I, I think uh, it sort of falls down because... Whilst I don't care about canon, I think what I what I really do care about is making sure that you tell good stories. And I don't think yeah. we have a good story that does good story things in a good story fashion or style here. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it even sets up anything with which you can do something interesting with this reveal. Yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, Chris Chibnall gets my uh, foul of the week. Okay. How about your MVP of the week to end on a happy note? Um, gosh, look, um, I, I, I like... Uh, Jodie again and her interplay with um, with um, Sasha Darwin just on a sort of a chemistry level alone that really works but I will go with Jodie I think she's had a really uh, solid uh, season uh, and I think that she's really grown into the part so uh, Jodie Whittaker for me and that's a snap ah. uh, I've got Jodie Whittaker down here despite what she was given I wrote yeah you know, she did her best here and I think yeah. some of the scenes and we've said this before, when she's up against a tough opponent and she can harden up a bit and really play off them, she comes across really, really well. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've gone with Jodie. All right. Uh, at the end of the episode, we saw the Doctor taken to a Jadoon prison. I guess that's going to be the Christmas, <laughs> the Christmas special or the uh, New Year's special, perhaps. And it's called Revolution of the Daleks, which I think was a bit of a reveal. Hmm. Okay. Um, n- not sure what to think of the, the title. I think it's just uh, Chris Chibnall <laughs> mining 80s Doctor Who again and, and coming up with another R of the Daleks. Um, mm. Let's see how that plays out. I, it was a pretty cool reveal, though, I've got to say that. Um, Jadoon sort of taking the Doctor away and then sort of imprisoning her on what maybe looked like the Shadow Proclamation. I don't know. I'll need to go back and check that. Probably not. Um, but I thought that was a really cool setup. Um, yeah. So as a cold open, I guess, at the end of the uh, episode for the next one, um, yeah, pretty cool. 
Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if this is companion-free or if somehow she escapes that prison and, and picks up her companions, perhaps only to lose one or two of them within the same story, because I guess some of them have got to leave the series. Oh. Uh, because if they don't, are we really taking the same three companions into her third series? I don't think we would be. You know, too many companions dragging on for too long. My <laughs> God, Rob, you're right. Like, what, what, what sort of happens to the fam now? It's, it's very sort of precarious. It's sort of left hanging. We don't know. Well, they're, they're kind of thinking the Doctor's sacrificed herself. Mm, they're left exactly. with that idea. So, I mean, A, she has to get out of the prison, and B, she has to go back to them and pick them up somehow, mm. and then get involved with Daleks, yeah. she, <laughs> I believe. So, it's, yeah, it could be an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Look, to wrap up, my final little spiel on this is I'm I'm underwhelmed. I'm, I'm not annoyed with the episode. I just think, yeah. yet again... Chibnall's really struggled to write a proper sci-fi story you know it's not even that the landing was so bad and it destroyed Doctor Who or anything like that I just found it a bit meh <laughs> I, I, I can't even summon the energy to really smash into it. it it just was it wasn't particularly good it wasn't particularly interesting um it went some places I don't think it should have gone and it didn't need to go there and all up I charitably I can throw a six out of ten at it uh, gosh, I can't remember what I gave um, Ascension of the Cybern, but it's probably half a mark higher than that, but still lower than a seven, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, look, we're, we're very much aligned on this. I, I don't want to repeat myself, but this was, um, I guess, I guess a, a pretty disappointing resolution to what was a really promising season of Doctor Who. Promising season, and I think even a promising first episode of this two-parter. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it could have gone places. I, I know I gave it a bigger mark than you last week, but I think there was enough in there to to really pick up on. And oh, the setup certainly, yeah. And I just, th- yeah, I agree. I don't think it delivered on the setup. Yeah. Anyway, that wraps up uh, series twelve, listeners. Dave will be back, and we'll talk about the whole series at the end of March. Gosh, the end of March. <laughs> it's, it's coming up. <laughs> And look, uh, otherwise, I just want to say thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us for the past two weeks while Dave's been away. It's been a, you know, it's always fun to chat with you about new Doctor Who. Oh, no, thank you so much. And uh, can I keep the green jacket until next time? You certainly can. Oh, lovely. Fantastic. <laughs> We've got thank a tailor much. just for you. <laughs> Appreciate it. No, uh, thank you very much. And I look forward to the next time, whenever that may be. Lovely. And for the listeners out there, your podcast can be found at? Oh, at New to Who. It looks up on, on Facebook, um, on Twitter, and we've also got a website, uh, com. Lovely stuff. And I think you'll really enjoy it, listeners, if you've never heard it before. It's really great. Cheers, Rob. Until next time, I've been Rob. And I've been Stephen. We'll see you then. Be seeing you. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.